Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Kyrgyzstan's government is facing a backlash against a proposed border agreement with Uzbekistan that has proven unpopular with many Kyrgyz citizens. Faced with this challenge, the government has resorted to using a heavy hand. Nearly two dozen people, politicians, activists, journalists, and bloggers, who were vocal opponents of the border deal were detained early on October 23rd and nearly all will remain in detention for the next two months. On October 26th, Kyrgyzstan's Ministry of Culture ordered the website of Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty's Kyrgyz service to be blocked for two months, ostensibly due to a video that is unrelated to the current confrontation over the terms of the border deal. The history of Kyrgyzstan's domestic political scene is colorful, to put it mildly, and events similar to what are those happening now in the country have led to revolutions in the past, so many people are understandably concerned about what is transpiring in Kyrgyzstan at the moment. To discuss all this and shed some light on the problems, I am joined by Laila Nazgul Saeedbek, a lawyer living in exile in Europe. She's also the chairwoman of the NGO Freedom for Eurasia and a member of the Working Group for the Global Treaty to End All Forms of Violence Against Women and Girls. And Sania Tokhtagazieva, a constitutional lawyer and associate professor teaching international law at the American University of Central Asia in Bishkek. Thank you both for joining me. Laila, first, uh, I want to start with you. If you can kind of give us a real brief summary of what, what the border problems are what really caused all this. I mean, um, it's not that there wasn't a lot of tension already in Kyrgyzstan's politics before that, but certainly once the terms of this border deal that the Kyrgyz authorities have been working on with the Uzbek, Uzbek side came to light, they, they really kicked off a new wave of, of tensions. And, and so let's start with that, because that is actually what sparked all the stuff that's been happening in Bishkek in the last less than a week. Um, hi, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me again. Yes, the, so this border issue has uh, sparked a lot of um, controversies and a lot of discussions in the society. And once um, these re- issues have uh, started being uh, started being voiced publicly by activists, by journalists, and by politicians, the authorities it, it seems like they actually uh, were getting very nervous uh, by the fact that uh, this issue is even being discussed. They just wanted they seem to to really want to to uh, conclude this deal with like no discussion at all in the society with the society. And um, it resulted, actually, that the pressure was growing so much that it resulted in, in authorities trying to set up some sort of a, a meeting with, with activists and journalists and whoever was interested in asking questions and hearing some answers. Although they have set this uh, meeting in a way that it was being held be- behind closed doors and um, they, they, nobody was, was allowed to, to bring in any of the devices that they could use to, to, um, to record this meeting. So... Uh, we still don't know what exactly has transpired inside that meeting. Uh, we, we have been hearing from people that, that were present in that meeting, uh, you know, various bits and pieces of information, but nobody exactly knows. And um, that ultimately led to, to activists uh, forming a committee uh, through which they were hoping to um, start this public discussion of the issue and raise all of the uh, controversial portions of the deal and get the authorities to actually open up about the, the terms of the deal that they are trying to set up with Uzbekistan. That, however, didn't happen, and um, it all um, led to what we now know is a mass um, mass arrest of whoever was even asking any questions. 
Uh, thank you. If I could ask you a follow-up question then, too, although I think it's it's fairly obvious, but, you know, in the interview that, that President Sadr Japarov gave to Kabar last Saturday, October 22nd, he said that uh, he claimed that 99.9% .9 of the people in Kyrgyzstan are uh, back this deal that he's worked out with in, uh, with Uzbekistan. But, I mean, the terms of the deal weren't even made public, right? This was These were negotiations that were kept secret. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, nobody knows the terms of the agreement. They were not made public. The authorities didn't share, not even, a, I mean, I'm not even talking about them sharing an actual draft of the, of, of the agreement. Um, they wouldn't even share any, any descriptions of, uh, of any uh, agreement being uh, concluded with Uzbekistan. So to say that 99.9% .9 of the people in Kyrgyzstan supported is um is i believe is 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 quite irresponsible because it's the people in order to support or not support the people have to understand what's going on and this was the reason why activists politicians and journalists were asking these questions because they couldn't understand what the authorities are trying to do what they have in mind and um you know what is it going to be at the end but with Japarov using this number, 99.9%, I'm not even surprised because, uh, you know, he's just, um, it's, it's in his nature to, um, to exaggerate things to, to a point where you just know it's, it's unrealistic, right? I mean, it's, it's not, he's not even trying to, to keep it within the modest range of saying, you know, 80% of people support me or, uh, at least 97% of the people support me. He'll, he just goes ahead and says 99.9%. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for that. And, and just to throw in a couple of facts for, for our audience out there, too. A part of the deal, of course, was going to cede the Kempirabad Reservoir to Uzbekistan in exchange for land that, that Kyrgyzstan would would uh, get in return. That's one of the reasons that people down there in the region, of course, were angry by this. Um, they they had a community meeting together, a curl tie, and formed the commission uh, that Lila was just speaking about. And there have been protests um, since then. But if we can move ahead now to the real the standoff that, that came on October 23rd in the morning, uh, you know, and we, we have these reports that are showing up on social networks saying that in the mor on the morning of October 23rd that they gathered together so many policemen uh, that they, they some of the policemen were under the impression that maybe there was some huge violent event had broken out and they were being mobilized. Uh, but it wasn't a violent event. It was uh, a raid, a series of raids that they were conducting on politicians, activists, journalists, bloggers. And, and they detained certainly more than 20 people. I've seen various figures, 22 up to 25. Uh, but uh, Sonia, I wanted to talk to you about this. You know, it was the commission, this committee to protect the Kempirabad Reservoir, the list was actually published on October 22nd, the same day that, that President Chaparro gave his interview to Kabar. Now, the next day, not even 24 hours later, early in the morning, October 23rd, all of a sudden, we have the raids on on these people who were all opponents of this land deal, but a lot of them were also members of this commission. So, what's the legality of this? I mean, was there what kind of process could they even have run through that would be legal in less than twenty four hours to get search warrants, uh, detain people, gather evidence, all that? Uh, what's your view on on the detentions and and the process since then? Yeah, exactly. That's an excellent question because. The Committee for the Protection of Camp Pirabat was created on October 22nd, and it indeed included um, a lot of civil rights activists, politicians, human rights activists, and any other like concerned citizens. The, the striking moment of the situation is that allegedly the case itself against these people 
was registered at this Unified Registers of Crimes and Misdemeanors of the Kyrgyz Republic on October 20 already. And the committee had a meeting at one of the local coffee places on October 22nd. And um, allegedly there was a person who was actually recording all these conversations during the meeting, uh, which later on some bits and uh, pieces of this conversation started being leaked right after the detention started. So then the next day, on October 23rd, early in the morning, it is Sunday morning, non-working day, uh, the, um, the homes and apartments of the members of the committee on the protection of this Kempirabad Reservoir, the law enforcement agencies, uh, they began the mass searches. And the searches allegedly were carried out on the basis of the uh, resolution on the conduct of search and seizure signed by the head of the um, uh, investigative service uh, within the Minister of Internal Affairs, whose name is uh, Jabekov. But this Jabekov never showed up uh, up to this date. All these detainees have never ever seen uh, the police uh, mayor Jabekov, which is already one of the violations. So, and this resolution actually stated that the search and seizure is being carried out on the basis of the criminal case that was opened against them based on Article uh, 278 of the Criminal Code, which is organizing mass riots, which is accompanied by violence and etc., etc. It is important to note that the searches and seizures were carried out without the judicial order. However, they were supposed to actually get the judicial order. And then after the searches and seizures, the, the status of these people were at the beginning, they, they were all said that they're going to be treated as witnesses. But despite these facts, the detentions took place and all these detainees were taken to different territorial police departments, allegedly because there were no places uh, left at the uh, Bishkek Territorial Police Department. And then afterwards, basically, all of them were detained for 48 hours. And then on October 24th, on the night to October 25th, the Permamaisky District Court of Bishkek started considering a measure of restraint against all these activists and politicians uh, suspected of organizing mass riots. So these court hearings took place until 5 a.m. And eventually the Permamaisky Court ordered that actually all the suspects should go into custody for two months until December 20. So if we wrap up, we can clearly see that with respect to the um, all the detainees, Kyrgyz authorities and their actions contain serious human rights violations, such as arbitrary detention because searches and seizures were carried out without judicial order. And plus, when the... Um, Judges were making decisions on restraint orders. They didn't actually take into consideration the principle of legality, validity, and proportionality, and also the freedom of opinion and expression of these people as well, because we know that these detainees have been actively expressing their position on the transfer of the Kemperabad Reservoir to Uzbekistan, and under the Constitution, participation in the meeting of the activists and the creation of the committee is allowed. However, what's interesting is that the Kyrgyz authorities somehow is interpreting this expression of the will as if they have been organizing some massive riots and etc.
and of course their right to peaceful assembly and association as well. So generally, um, all um, civil society currently uh, is evaluating the actions of authorities as an open persecution and intimidation of citizens who are expressing their criticism and concerns about the actions of authorities with respect to Kempirabat. And we see the follow-up that uh, this is not the first time when the Kyrgyz authorities are taking such measures. It became the continuation of policy of persecution and uh, intimidation of civil society and media in Kyrgyzstan, because throughout this year we see a lot of prosecution is carried out against independent media like uh, Timirov Live, uh, Next TV, and yesterday the uh, Azatik and its website has been blocked for two months already. So this is really concerning, and it seems that uh, the number of people involved in this case is growing. Um, allegedly, Orozayev Narmatova has been captured in Moscow like a few hours ago, and she will be brought soon to Kyrgyzstan, according to the news. So this is, is in terms of the legality of the actions of the Kyrgyz authorities with respect to the detention of these people. Um, thank you. And I want to I back up a minute to the trial process, and, and I also want to uh, talk a little bit about the, the key piece of evidence the government supposedly has against them, too. Uh, but, but certainly in the trial process, the, the Kyrgyz, Kyrgyzstan's ombudsman's office released a statement yesterday that had a list of violations that had occurred. Among them, the one that caught my eye immediately was that a lot of the defendants didn't even know what the charges were against them until they were actually in the courtroom. Um, can you talk a little bit about that that part of the trial process? Yes. Uh, so basically, attorneys uh, have never been actually provided this resolution on the um, registration of the criminal case. Uh, because I think they only had an access to their resolution on the searches and seizures, which is already a big violation. And um, and then only after the judicial order, so the judges had to pause a number of these uh, basically trials so that the representative of the Minister of Internal Affairs would bring uh, those resolutions. Um, so th this is correct. This is one of the violations, along with others. And plus, um, in all these cases, when the judges are reaching a decision with respect to the restraint orders and legality, so they uh, they literally just ignored all these procedural violations. The fact that um, plus, uh, for instance, yesterday the um, deputy minister of the internal affairs reported to the deputies of the Jogor Kukinyash, but each time when the um, deputies were trying to tease out some information, they've been saying that this is confidential, top secret, and etc. But it seems that the only evidence that they have so far is that conversation in the coffee place, but uh, based on these conversations that I myself have listened carefully, I don't really see the elements of crime under 278 article of the criminal code, organizing mass riots, like not really. And if this is the only evidence, then it, it, it really causes a huge concern on how they're going to go ahead with that and how come the judges actually didn't see any violation and went ahead and actually um, approved all those detentions of the activists. Okay, great. Thank you. And Lila, I want to ask you then, um, you know, this, this audio tape really does seem to be the only piece of evidence that the, the Kyrgyz authorities are able to throw up there right now. Uh, one, how curious is that to, to you? And, um, 
you know, also, especially given that Sonia said that, that it looked like they were already moving on these people, uh, you know, preparing legal measures against them even before the 22nd when all this stuff started to happen. Um, and then the 23rd. But and also my other question would be, given that this kind of this kind of dirty pool has happened before, we know that, you know, we know that people will have their phones wiretapped in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, they produced these kind of conversations before audio tapes and not just in Kyrgyzstan, but other places in Central Asia and other places in the world. They're supposed to be, you know, the convincing evidence that, that these people are guilty. I mean, how credible is their evidence? Uh, is the evidence of the authorities against these people? And, and do you, how, what do you think the Kyrgyz people are thinking about this? Do they even believe this is possible? I did also listen to to these tapes um, uh, carefully, and I do agree with um, Senia's um, uh, opinion that um, I do not I do not see any any evidence of crimes that the authorities are be are trying to charge um, these activists with. the 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 thing is also the 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 effort to organize or any actions to organize um, a protest in in themselves. In itself, that that act is actually not a crime. Anybody can organize a protest; it's a right. And organizing into a committee also is a right. Uh, anybody can do that. Anybody has a right to do that. Other than that, um, I did not see uh, so far authorities producing any other piece of evidence that would prove the position of the authorities. Um, what I think. Is happening is um, is that the authorities are, are kind of scrambling for any smallest uh, possibility to justify these arrests, because obviously this is not about establishing the truth, and this is not about um, defending the interests of Kyrgyzstan as a state or uh, uh, defending interests of Kyrgyz people. This is about uh, destroying the uh, dis- dis- destroying the 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 core group of active citizens. Um, this is about demolishing civil society, and uh, this is about basically trying to get rid of anybody who can disagree, criticize, or say anything against them. And that is obviously, in my mind, is done in order to secure the longevity of the rule. So that they have, you know, they have a clear field uh, going forward with uh, no dissenting voices, uh, with uh, nobody able or brave enough to stand against them. So, yeah, th- this is this is the this is this is the effort that I see behind the the authorities' actions. I do not believe they will be able to produce any of the uh, any evidence to to prove the guilt. Of these people, and I, I don't think that's even their that's even their goal. I don't think they're going to try to. And um, we're kind of seeing this trend. Um, it, it started a while ago, and as Sonia has mentioned, uh, we have seen the same methods being used against Timirov. Uh, we have seen these methods uh, methods being used against other critics that were um, detained in in the past uh, in the in the past two years, basically a year and a half, I would say. That were persecuted, and there were some cases opened, and there were some some people who were imprisoned as well. So this is this is merely a a, a battle against um, civil society and nothing else. 
Okay, great. Thank you very much. And we have gotten to the halfway point of our show, so it's time for the halfway break. And a reminder that this is the Medjelis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Pinner, host of the Medjelis Podcast, and we're looking at the current political tensions in Kyrgyzstan. And discussing that topic with me are... Sanya Tokhtagazieva, a constitutional lawyer and associate professor teaching international law at American University of Central Asia in Bishkek, and Laila Nazgul Saeed Bek, a lawyer living in exile in Europe, chairwoman of the NGO Freedom for Eurasia, and member of the working group for the Global Treaty to End All Forms of Violence Against Women and Girls. Thank you both again for being on the show. Sanya, I want to start with you too. Uh, one, just to, I want to be real clear on what kind of what what kind of case the government has against these people. Um, but also, could you talk a little bit about how the constitutional amendments that they passed, it changes, uh, if, am I wrong that, that um, Japarov, he appoints like all the judges in the country, right? So if you could talk a little bit about the case that the government has and what, and what the relationship is of Kyrgyzstan's judges to the president. Yes, um, unfortunately, when these amendments to the constitutions were taking place, um, a lot of lawyers have been warning about the fact that the system of checks and balances is being eroded, especially when it comes to the independence of the judiciary. And of course, the criminal cases, particularly like providing this constitutionally guaranteed right to a fair trial, depends a lot on the pre- on the right to be present before the competent, independent, and impartial judiciary. We always had problems with this, but now, take, given the fact that uh, we have a huge concentration of power around the executive, um, it, it really makes the situation of with the judicial independence even more difficult. So in this case, um, I, I think it is pretty much evident that the decision of the court uh, with respect to this case is uh, going to be based on the orders that they are going to receive from above. And, and it is pretty clear because from the beginning, we, we have seen a lot of procedural violations, but they decided just to close their eyes on that. And another issue is that we should also be aware that right after the constitutional amendments, a huge uh, mass amendments have been introduced to the entire criminal justice system, particularly the criminal code and criminal procedural code were amended by the initiatives of the Kurman Kuzulushov, who is the general prosecutor and one of the best friends of Sadr Jabarov. So overall, yeah, I think um, if the situation goes on this way, uh, the um, uh, eventual decision is go- is pretty much predictable. So the judges are going to decide the case on the order that they're going to receive. Another uh, interesting, I think, thing what I've read today is that yesterday the Council of Heads of Security of Agencies and Special Services of CIS countries had a joint meeting where our uh, head of the GKNB, also the um, Tashif, participated. And interestingly, during the meeting, all the secret special services came to conclusion that they're going to adopt specific measures and develop them jointly to counter the destructive activities of foreign non-governmental and non-profit organizations that are using soft power tools to destabilize the social political situation in CIS countries. And with that respect, also, I think special attention is being made on the independent media and etc. So that's why a lot of experts have been prognosing that 
the next step after this uh, mass arrests are going to be a number of attacks against independent media. And we see that it started already yesterday with Radio Azatuk. And, um, um, and even the, some experts are claiming that the same thing could with the blocking can happen with respect to cactus and club kg and etc so yeah well, overall we see that now the consequences of this constitutional referendum uh, this is what happens when you don't have an effective system of checks and balances and separation of powers in the constitution okay thank you um lila that uh after having listened to this and you, you alluded to this a little bit earlier is this uh you know is japarov's government making the big move here to get rid of all you know opposition and, and what makes you you know can you talk a little bit about how, what he's accomplishing right now and if his goal is indeed to remove all competition and opposition to himself and and move forward how are these how do these moves help him out well um um this this is this is um this is the the opinion that i uh, arrived to you know after after basically monitoring the actions of the current administration on how they've been going after uh, individual activists first and then journalists and then and then uh, taking them down en masse in the past days the the thing is though i want to say that this is not the, this is not only sadr japarov's or tashiv's goal or uh, or their dream they're not the only ones that uh want this to happen and um this is this is the goal of basically all of the all of the administrate all of the regimes I, w- I would say in um in former soviet union in uh in tajikistan uh we, we've seen that actually realized to the point where th- they, they have carried out a scorched earth operation where they they literally have no um no dissenting voices within the country any longer and no free media basically uh, we have a same uh, complicated situation in uzbekistan we know turkmenistan that we know nothing about because of that and we see what's happening in, in russia so this is this is a very much unified um effort this is not just you know an individual initiative of sadr japarov and tashiv this is something that is happening in the entire post-Soviet region, Central Asia plus Russia, I would say, so that the, this entire this entire territory is plunged back into into darkness that we the totalitarian darkness that we were born in and have have lived in. This is this is the ultimate goal of theirs. Yeah, thank you. I, I, but let me follow up a little bit with that. Is it is it kind of a risk for this government? I mean, we we know. Unfortunately, I don't have time to go into the history of how Sadr Japarov ended up being president of Kyrgyzstan. It was extremely controversial, to say the least. But he, you know, how much support do you get the in your in your impression? How much support does he really have? I mean, you know, he ran for president finally and was elected, but the voter turnout was so low. You know, and, and while he got a substantial majority, it still it. it amounted to, I remember writing a paper at the time, it amounted to less than 20% of the total population of Kyrgyzstan that actually voted for him. You know, so is, do, do you, don't you think, it is it kind of risky for him to do this, considering that, you know, no matter what he says about his support uh, in the country, I never got the impression that, that he really had that much support. Um, so do you see this as a risk for him to be taking this move, throw all these people in jail right now? There's some big names uh, that are right now in detention. Um, yes, um, I, I do agree there is some risk uh, in, uh, in this, but 
if we are talking about um, him taking down some some pretty popular politicians, such as Madomara, for example, because he has a very strong base, right? But he's not he's not in jail right now. If we put if we weigh um, Sadir Jabarov against any of the NGO people that have been imprisoned, then obviously the the public opinion is is obviously not really going to um, to be on the side of the NGOs. Unfortunately, um, I have a feeling because for years the NGOs and activists have been demonized so badly that if you ask any average Kyrgyz person somewhere in the village. Uh, what they think about NGOs, activists, and so on, they will, they will, they will continue chanting the same propaganda they've been receiving for decades that they are uh, living on Western money, that they are carrying out the the goals set before them by Western powers, that this is all, you know, the the Western games and th- that are directed against um, the Kyrgyz, that uh, this is the NATO, and so on. Is the propaganda is very, very similar to that that is being uh, that is being carried out in uh, in Russia. Uh, the scenario is very similar. So, if we are talking about support of the population towards the activists, especially if they are connected to to an NGO sector or if they are connected to Azadik, I don't really see the population going against Sadr Japarov and um, just in support of these people. But if the issue is concerning um, a popular politician who might end up in jail, then yes, it might, it might, it might explode in, in different ways completely. Okay, thank you. Um, Sonia, I have a question for you too. What, what legal options do any of these people have if, if I oppose the border deal per se, or if I'm one of the people that are detained or, or this actual this committee to protect computer, but, you know, which all, not all the members, we should, I should make clear, not all the members of this committee are, are in, have been detained. So there's some that are still free. Adahan Matamara, who we just heard of, is one. Uh, Iskak Masaliyev is another. Um, so they're still out there. What legal options do they have to oppose what's happening to them right now? So one of the lawyers said that in the uh, resolution that was given to them on the opening up this criminal case, there were also the names of Dahan Madomarov and uh, Ishak Masaliv. So which means any day the criminal, if their names are in the criminal case already, of course they cannot be arrested now because they have a deputy immunity. But in order to overcome that immunity, uh, so they um, have to get the majority support by the deputies. But taking into consideration the current composition of the parliament, I think prosecutor's office will easily get that immunity to be lifted. And if that's the case, then most likely they would also be arrested because I've heard that their names are indicated in that resolution. Probably now the president the the president and um and his close people in the administration are thinking and maybe weighing the risk to what extent they should go ahead with uh, Madomarov and Ishak Masaliv um with respect to the other members of course now the all their attorneys and lawyers are going to appeal uh, the decision of the Pervamaisky District Court on the uh, this restraint orders that have been provided. So they still have time to appeal that. So it's, it's going to be appealed in the Bishkek City Court. Um, but I, I don't know, like taking into account uh, how the Pervamaisky District Court behaved itself, uh, it seems like the, Bishk- the appellate court is going to uh, leave the decision of the first instance court the same, meaning with this 
suspects probably will stay in the custody until December 20. So this is as far as the legal options are concerned. And then I'm just curious how exactly, what kind of evidence is they're going to bring when the real trial is go- will start? Because it seems like so far the only evidence that they have is this, is that recording, which really don't have any substantial ground, uh, frankly speaking. So another interesting, I think, point uh, to make is that um, after the war in Ukraine started, uh, um, everyone noticed that Sadr Jabarov is trying to have this multi-vector policy. But now I'm afraid that um, in order to preserve his own power, probably the situation is going to push him to be embraced more by the Kremlin's uh, regime. And the fact that uh, Tashif visited this special service of CIS countries meeting and etc. I don't know whether it is a coincidence or not, but the way that they're taking this measure so actively seems that, I don't know, the attempts on multi-vector policy probably will be paused by Sadr Jabarov because uh, if he wants to preserve his power, probably he's going to continue with his authoritarian measures. This is my view and take on that. Okay, thank you. Um, and just let me get in one question. Say uh, I live by the Kempirabad Reservoir, and I'm unhappy with the deal. Besides complaining and pro- complaining publicly and protesting, is, do I have any option at all to try to hold up the process, or is it is that it's out of my hands entirely, and it's up to the government to negotiate border deals? Actually, the final ratification should go through the parliament, and currently we know that the head of the one of the committees on international affairs of the Jogor Kukingesh, Aiderbek of Chungus, is refusing to sign uh, the protocol, um, basically. But then this case is, again, most likely soon will come back to the committee. And I think the new chairman of the committee is going to sign it without any problem. Because now I think what the main purpose of Sadr Jabarov was that the deal is already made, and now, with all means possible, they just have to get it through the Jogor Kukinesh and ratification. That's why they're going through the to these very repressive measures. Basically, this incident is being used as a tool by Kyrgyz authorities to intimidate the civil society and all individuals who are discussing this issue and criticizing the issue of transferring, tra- transferring the Kempirabad Reservoir to Uzbekistan. Uh, that's exactly, I think, their intention is, just to intimidate and make sure that other individuals will just stop criticizing and so that this deal will be set in stone and sealed and will easily go through Jogor Kukinesh. Um, that's why they have taken these unprecedented measures, literally putting all these people into the detention room and and Yasa Sukhbaeva, one of them, he's, she's like 71 years old. Gundara Jorobayo, like 65. Majority of them are women, and it's really unprecedented. So I think the way how they are behaving themselves now, it shows that to what extreme, to the, the extreme, the level of the fact how, how much hysteria the Sadr Jabarov and Tashriv have. They just want this deal to be sealed no matter what. Uh, th- this is how I interpret their actions these days. 
Okay, great. Um, thank you. And okay, I have one last question, and this goes to both of you. It's the same question. Given Kyrgyzstan's history, uh, three revolutions since 2005, how dangerous is this situation for Kyrgyzstan at the moment? And Sonia, I'll start with you uh, first, and then Lila will finish, will close the session for us. I think it is dangerous, especially if we remember any revolution always, uh, the peak of the revolution started when Whenever they start uh, literally this mass intimidation of independent media, for instance, I think the last time when Radio Azatuk was blocked in Kyrgyzstan, it was in 2010, right before the April Revolution. Now they're repeating the same mistake again. Like it, It's a big mistake. I don't know whoever is uh, giving an advice to Sotrubipadov, like, it, it could have been easily solved. He still enjoys the support of the population. I think the problem is that their press services is very weak. They're not educated. They don't know how to create this balance, uh, uh, the dialogue between people. Um, and, and, and it all ends up with these, you know, oppressive measures. Generally, they just don't understand that, that with, with all these oppressive measures, they're literally creating more ground for the potential unrest and maybe even a revolution next time. I really view this as a very weakly constructed policy and most probably it's, it's the fault of the advisors uh, who just simply cannot construct a proper dialogue between people and the authorities. But if they continue this way, definitely, I think the end would be horrible for them. But for Kyrgyzstan, again, I mean, I, I don't know to a, to what extent we will handle the next upheaval and revolution. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, and I, actually, I want to get in a piece of Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty history here, because you made reference to the fact that they closed down the radio in June 2010, just a few weeks before the Bakiyev government was ousted, and they were making this move just for, like I said, a piece of history. The Kyrgyz government a- appealed to the radio to tone down, the, the Kyrgyz service to tone down the, um, the, the reporting, you know, not to be so critical of the government, but they did not send that message to the Kyrgyz service they sent it to the Russian service at RFARL to pass on to the Kyrgyz service for some bizarre reason. So I guess, you know, at least in a departure, uh, Japarov went right after him rather than calling on the Russian service for some reason to in- use their influence to calm down the Kyrgyz service. Okay, but uh, Lila, how dangerous is this for Kyrgyzstan right now, this situation? Um, I believe that um, the situation is, is highly explosive, as it is always uh, in Kyrgyzstan. It's very difficult to predict the reaction of the people, especially people uh, living in that area. We know that population in uh, in that area depends highly on the the, the water supply, and uh, of course, um, the issue of uh, water distribution has 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 been um, quite quite um, you know inflammatory in the past years as well. The 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 further arrests may lead to more protests, especially given that uh, more and more uh, very well known uh, polit- political uh, figures are now being brought into this uh, fabricated criminal case. And um, how how that protest is going to end, unfortunately, nobody knows. But as we have uh, well, as history shows, it usually doesn't end well for the sitting administration. And we also, uh, throughout the years, saw the grit of the Kyrgyz civil society and just 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 citizens who uh, joined the protests in the past 
um, either against the corruption of the Kiev's um, rule or the the events uh, leading up to uh, to Akhaev's downfall. We've seen uh, people just you know jumping in just simply because um, simply because they have finally understood and saw that this is not the direction they want their country to take. All of that is possible. Um, however, what um, I am also concerned about is the, the question of how much grit is there within the Kyrgyz society. Because, you know, n- no matter how much uh, grit there is, it might actually run out, right? And um, so I am very, very concerned about, about the scorched earth strategy that I mentioned in the past, because I saw that working quite effectively in the neighboring countries. And I do not want the same thing to happen to Kyrgyzstan. Because Kyrgyzstan has been um, an example uh, in terms of, not in terms of authorities, we've always had bad authorities, but in terms of the grit of the, of the civil society, their strength and their ability, their agility, their ability to stand against the, the authorities. And that example is quite disturbing, was always quite disturbing to authorities in the neighboring states. They're, they were irritated by, by that example, but we need that example to survive. We need that example to to stay and just to be there in the middle of Central Asia because there is nobody else to do that, unfortunately. Uh, what I also believe is in order to, to, to defend these people who are bravely fighting and standing against all odds is to enforce the mechanisms that we have right now that are available to us right now that might not be you know the best or the perfect mechanisms, but they are the mechanisms that, that we may be able to use at this point because using it later might be nice but it might be less effective and right now i'm talking about sanctions and i'm talking about individual sanctions i'm talking about hashogi bans i'm talking about magnitsky act designations that i believe that these need to 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 to, we need to start uh enforcing these more actively within uh central asia and actually kyrgyzstan might be a good place to use that again we do have um, who, is, um, who has been designated under, under Magnitsky Act, but that's too little. And we, we have a number of other people. We, we have, you know, judges that should be uh, sanctioned. We have uh, investigators that are worth uh, sanctioning. You know, just take at least these people or maybe uh, ministers or prosecutors that have been involved in fabrication of cases in, um, in cracking down against the civil society, cracking down against um, the, the, the journalists. So that might actually be, a, a, you know, a thing we might need to, to do right now. We might do that later, but it might just be a bit too late. Okay, great. Thank you very much. And thank you both, too. Uh, I know a lot of eyes are going to be on Kyrgyzstan in the coming weeks to see how this plays out. Like you said, it's a, a suspenseful time to say the least out in that country um so thank you lila and thank you sonia for being on the program Thanks. a big thank you to nathan shoemaker our medley's podcast producer in washington dc uh and a reminder you can subscribe to medley's podcast or the central asia and focus newsletter by visiting rfarl's website at rfarl.org thank you very much and we'll be back next week bye bye